Burns and Gambo. Afternoons 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, welcome back to the program. Steve Zinsmeister filling in for Burnsy, whose kid's getting married tomorrow. So he'll be off. Uh, he was off yesterday, today, and he'll be off on Monday as well. But we still got Casey Jacobson coming up on the program. We'll talk, talk some Pac-12 hoops with him at 530, our good buddy. Uh, but right now, let's talk a little bit about the Arizona Cardinals. And, and Michael Bidwell was on the Dave Pash podcast and interesting conversation I, I thought and and this was his take on on the conversation that Michael had with Monty about the roster right now Number one, we spent a lot of time talking about Kyler and what type of offense we should be running and how to protect him and where we should be spending our money. We've got a lot of money tied up in a couple of different positions. And so I think you're going to see that change. We're going to, I think you're going to see us beefing up the offensive line, the defensive line. We've got to get help at corner. Um, we've got to get a, a, just more protection for Kyler. Sure. And then we've got to be able to rush the passers, especially in the, in the NFC West. So I I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of changes, but they're not going to happen immediately, and they'll happen over the next several years. Is is we get opportunities to to build on the the draft class that's coming up. Yeah, I think what they're going to do is they're going to change their whole approach. I don't think you'll be seeing them drafting linebackers early or safeties early. I think they're really going to go with the philosophy they got to bulk up on that offensive and defensive line and not spend the money that they've been spending on the positions like linebacker. I think that they they're going to really work on that, and I think you'll see an approach where they take the best available player for need, not just the best available player. So if a tight end is on the board and you've got him rated really high, but you don't need a tight end, they're not going to draft a tight end. So I think you'll see some changes right now. And and look, Steve, they need to do it because the bottom line is there's just not enough talent on this football team to win. That's why I was reluctant to give up even next year's first round pick for Sean Payton because I expect that the Arizona Cardinals are going to be right back at the same spot next year having a really good high pick in the draft. Listen, if I was a GM, if I was an NFL GM and an owner like Michael Bidwell gave me the keys to the car, here's what I'm building a team from scratch based on. Give me two good tackles, give me a good quarterback, give me two lockdown cornerbacks and two pass rushers, and I'll figure the rest out. Pass rusher, offensive tackles, corners. And a good quarterback. I'll figure the rest out. Go to the running game on both sides. You don't, problem, you don't want an interior, like a nose tackle guy or a guard well, to help listen, you with the running game. Those things are all great. But these are the fundamental positions of the game of football. You need somebody who can cover. You need somebody who can get to the quarterback. And on the offensive side, you need someone who can protect the quarterback and someone who can throw the ball. The rest, I'll figure it out. The problem is, look where the money is. He just mentioned in the cut that the money is in some certain positions that you're going to see moved around. They got a lot of money at wide receiver right now. A lot of that has to do with DeAndre Hopkins. Yep. Could that change? It could. They got a lot of money. It's safety. And as much as I love Buda Baker, I'd rather have a lockdown corner than a really good safety. It's just the way that it is in the game of football. It is, and I don't think I think they're going to change their approach. I think what Monty's come in and what him and Michael have talked about is just changing the whole approach, the way the Cardinals have drafted, the way the Cardinals have spent their money on players on their roster and free agency. I think you're going to do that. Look, pro football focus, this was kind of embarrassing, actually humiliating. Now, one single Cardinal was on pro football focus top 100 players of 2022. Not one. There's a team that went 4-13, and and it's hard to find any positive takeaways. But they had 101 players listed, and not one single Cardinal cracked the list. 
So now there were former Cardinals. Patrick Peterson was number seventy-eight. Hassan Reddick was number thirty-eight. Buddha's name wasn't on the list. That was interesting because Buddha's be a great there. player. But it just goes to show you how void of talent they are. They just don't have the talent on this roster. I mean, you you know, you're going through all these drafts. I was looking at a thing the other day. Gave the Cardinals dr- draft class a D plus. They got a D-plus the other day uh, on somebody rating their draft class. They haven't hit on the draft. If you're not going to hit on the draft, you really put yourself uh, in a tough position to field successful winning teams. Because now, you know, you have to. You have to win through the draft, and the Cardinals have not been able to do that. I'm looking at last year's draft class, like you said. None of these guys played a major role in on the team last year. Not that you should have major role players being drafted every single year, but you would hope, right? Trey McBride, no major role. Cam Thomas and MyJ Sanders, I, I started to like what they were providing in a limited role as young players, but not huge roles. Keontae Ingram, no. Lasita Smith did a great job against the Rams and Aaron Donald, but not a huge role on this team. Looking at the year prior, Zayvon Collins, I, I don't think that he's figured it out yet. Rondale Moore has not garnered a significant role. Marco Wilson has a significant role only because there's no other cornerbacks in this room right now. I mean, the last two, three draft classes, you start thinking about Isaiah Simmons in 2020, and we talked earlier about how how does Jonathan Gannon figure him out and what is his role. That's not solidified yet. Josh Jones was a third-round pick and probably should have been a second-round pick. He hasn't really fit into a role yet. They haven't found significant role players in the last three drafts. Listen, there's players that they like out of all the guys you just mentioned. There are players that they like, but you know nobody's really burst out. I found this the 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 story that I was referring to, which was the grades, the NFL rookie grades by class, and it was uh, I think it was NFL Network. It was D plus. McBride, 16 games. Cameron Thomas, no starts. Majai Sanders, four starts. Keontae Ingram, no starts. Lasita Smith, two starts. Matthew, three starts. Jesse Lucetta, no starts. Marquise Hayes, no games played. And you could talk to you all you want about that trade for Hollywood Brown, but the bottom line is you need to hit on these draft picks. They didn't have a first-round pick, but they did have a second. They did have two-thirds. Like, they did have a second and two-thirds. So you did have three picks in the top 100, and you didn't get anything out of those guys. Now, maybe Majai Sanders and Cameron Thomas will be good, and maybe Trey McBride will be good. But there are sometimes you need to know after the first year and not have a maybe, you know? Micah Parsons, after the first year, the Cowboys like, yeah, that guy's good. So you want to have that. You've got to – you can't always be questioning whether – do I have a good player or not? Well, let's just give it time. Let's just give it time. No, there are players in every single draft, in every single round that you know right away. There are players in the first round, second round, third round, even the fourth round. They're good. They're good. And when you get them on the field, you know it. And the Cardinals haven't done a good job of drafting those type of players. So it will be interesting to see how the approach changes with Monty Austin for it, because I do think it's going to change. I think there's going to be a heavy, heavy emphasis on that offensive and defensive line, draft, free agency, and just making sure that they've got that, they've got that beef where they can run the football and they can stop the run. That was one of the things that always surprised me the most about Steve Kimes' time as GM is that he severely lacked in the development of offensive linemen. DJ Humphreys, I think, is a decent left tackle. He's somewhere in the middle tier of the league to me. He was a good draft pick. He's a pretty good pick that turned out pretty well. Aside from that, they have not developed offensive linemen. They've tried at the center position, ended up having to do a trade for Rodney Hudson, who I really liked at the time. Obviously, we know how that went. Uh, they've tried different guards. They ended up going with veterans in those positions as well. They've had veteran right tackles, including Marcus Gilbert at a time, Kelvin Beecham. They've tried a lot of different names. 
they have not developed offensive linemen well at all, really, since Steve Kime took over as general manager. Humphrey's the one exception. Yeah, and that's something that they're going to have to really work on because if if you can't build those lines, and right now you look at just where they are in the offensive line, you're like what are they what are they going to do? Do you bring back Will Hernandez? Like you know, on the defensive line, do you bring back Zach Allen? Like I'm not paying Zach Allen a franchise tag fee. I'm not paying him eighteen, nineteen million dollars. He had five and a half sacks. He was good. And he should get more money than two and a half million, which was what he was paid. But and I like him. I would try to bring him back. But man, it, it just seemed like they're always trying to plug holes. And let's go get an older Rodney Hudson. Let's go get J.J. Watt. And they're just trying to plug a lot of holes with veteran players. I mean, you want to develop. And I think there was a disconnect between the front office drafting and the coaching staff developing guys. I do think there was a disconnect in how that worked out. So. Let's see if a new coaching staff can get more out of the players that were drafted than the the recent coaching staff got out of them. I think one thing that might have hurt the Cardinals at specific positions, because Michael Bidwell listed cornerback and pass rusher as two very important positions. I totally agree. One thing that hurt them a little is the successes of Patrick Peterson and Chandler Jones. Both incredible acquisitions. He drafted Peterson. He was a pro bowler every year for like nine years or something like that. Uh, I think they did great with the Chandler Jones trade. He was one of the best pass rushers in the NFL over the last decade. It was a good trade. But because of those two players being so successful, they neglected those positions to a degree. How many times over the last 10 years have we sat here and talked about who's going to be the cornerback opposite Patrick Peterson? Well, it's different every year. It's Antonio Cromartie. It's Marcus Cooper. It's this guy, that guy the other guy. Every year we talk about who's going to be the pass rusher on the other side from Chandler Jones. Well, this year it's Marcus Golden and then Golden's gone and now we got to figure out is it Terrell Suggs at age 37? You get to a They hard- neglected those positions because they had one guy that was good at it. Yeah, and it's hard to it's hard to pay two guys at the same position like what they're doing Very in the wide hard. receiver spot. When you've got all that money tied up it just becomes a disaster when you've got all your and that's why this hop, you know, it's likely you trade Hopkins just because you're in a position now where you've got, you know, you you don't want to, and I don't know what they're going to do with Hollywood Brown. I would wait on Hollywood Brown. I'm in no rush to have to, to get Hollywood Brown signed. Mike Hazen, he doesn't care about the team's payroll. What? We'll tell you what he said on Newsmakers Week next, right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo, afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We're actually Monday. We are down at we're down at the uh, the spring training complex for the D backs, Salt River Fields. We'll be down there Monday. Kevin McCabe, yeah, we're 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 we're, we're dusting him off and bringing him out. He does the high school show on Saturday. Does a great job. Does a great job on high school shows. Long time, you know, Valley Media guy. I'm you know, looking forward to working with him. So he'll be with me Monday from down at Salt River Fields. Where so. do they put you? Left field, like a little bit higher above, above the grass, the, the grass, like yeah. uh, like this pavilion type area. Love that, but it's risky because like it could get super windy there, and all you hear is like through the microphone. <laughs> right, Mitch? Like you've heard, like just gets so windy, and 
So you just got always got to keep your eye on the weather with that thing because you just you, you just don't know. But I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait for baseball season. Uh, and Mike Hazen had a, a great interview, and I heard uh, part of it this morning on my way to the gym. Mike Hazen was on Newsmakers Week with uh, Bickley and Murata, and always the biggest question is: the Padres spend all this money, the Dodgers spend all this money, the Giants can even spend. How how difficult is it competing with these bigger market teams? I don't really care about payroll. I'll be honest with you. It is what it is. Like it's 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 a crotch. It's an excuse. Um, I think we have every ability to go out and put a good team on the field. Do am I blind to the difference in a uh, hundred fifty million dollar payroll gap on on your payroll? No. Um, we we it has it has its advantages, and, and the biggest advantage being when somebody goes down on one of those teams that they could you know buy or have a have a better player um, sitting underneath that than we might be able to have. However, we have the ability through the draft and, and all and acquisitions around the league and trades and free agent signings where we can do the same thing. We just haven't done as good a job of it as the Dodgers or the Padres. I will tell you that the Diamondbacks are going to take a new approach with some of their younger players. And that approach is what you're seeing throughout the league, and it's risky. It's risky. You saw Seattle do it with Rodriguez. You saw Tampa do it with with uh, Franco. You've seen the Braves do it with like three of their guys, including Albies, is locking these guys up to long-term deals after their first or second year. Before they're an established player, Before but after you know that they're kind of special. You try Because the Diamondbacks can't afford those guys if they get really good and get the free agency. They're going to lose every time. They're going to lose every time. They can't win the game because if they got a good player, it's not that you're competing against just one team. You're competing against the Dodgers, the Padres. You're competing against the Cubs, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Angels. It's just there's too many teams, and all it takes is one of those teams to say, I want your guy. I want him. And you're going to lose that battle. You're going to lose. You can't win. You're bringing a knife to a gunfight. So. The Diamondbacks they'll get six years out of them, but then they'll leave. Well, I'll tell you, one of the biggest regrets the Diamondbacks organization has, this is the truth, one of the biggest regrets that they had is that they didn't do this with Paul Goldschmidt. It's killing them. It's haunting them. It's haunting the organization that they had to trade Paul Goldschmidt for pennies on the dollar and because he was going to leave and you could, they couldn't pay him. They wish that they would have gone back four years in time Strike up the flex capacitor. Let's go back four years and done a six-year deal with Paul Goldschmidt. So that would have bought them two extra years of Paul Goldschmidt in his prime without having to worry about losing him. So they, their wish is that they would have done a six-year deal with Goldie four years before they lost him. It would have bought them, the year they trade him, they wouldn't have had to trade him. The next year, they wouldn't have had to trade him. The year after that, they wouldn't have had to trade him. So you would have got two and a half more years out of out of him without having to deal him. I, and I know they regret that. So they're going to take this approach. They're not anywhere close to getting a deal done with Corbin Carroll. But Corbin Carroll is the type of player that they would like to do a deal with. The same way Seattle did with Rodriguez and Franco with Tamper. And look at the Braves guys. I think there's three of them that signed deals. That's a direction that they want to go. Mike Hazen did talk about how payroll is not going to impede them from winning baseball games. Payroll is what it is. There are definite some advantages there. It's not 
it's not an impediment to us being a good baseball team and ultimately getting to the playoffs. And that's all I really care about. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. Look, everybody has to get through the 162-game schedule. Nobody is immune to injuries. Um, and so some of those things sometimes start to, you know, they'll have the same effect on those teams that they do on us. Um, it's the team that's better positioned to withstand the bad days. Um, that will come out ahead. We haven't been better positioned to withstand the bad days. To me, that's the end of the story. I, I heard Mike talk about how a few years ago they had like four their starters go down. They had nobody to replace those guys, and they were they were they were done. They, they couldn't win a game in June. They couldn't win a game. They just didn't have anybody that could pitch. I remember that. They had nobody could pitch. Nobody was any good. Their goal now is that if somebody goes down, they've got Brandon Fott waiting to go. They've got Nelson or they've got Jamison. They've got arms that are good. Good players that can come in that are as good or better than the players that, that are going down. And that's and he said that on Bickley Murata. What's like we got we got a guy we like. We think that this guy is as is as good or even better than the guy he's going to be replacing. So they're trying to get... Everybody talks about the Diamondbacks' position players, but nobody talks about, as far as prospects, nobody ever talks about their pitching. They've got incredible pitching prospects in this organization, but everybody's so ultra-focused on... Well, it wasn't because, always that way. But it's, 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 not, it's, it's not because it's like... It's because pitchers take longer to develop, and it's easy to identify a guy that plays every single day as a top prospect than it is a guy that plays once every fifth day and pitches in a league that's very offensive oriented because of the altitude or because of the, the ballparks and stuff like that. So a lot of team, a lot of these baseball, you know, America, a lot of these uh, public, they're, they're skeptical about putting pitchers in there because it's just so hard to gauge the pitchers and it's a lot easier to gauge the position players. Well, and some of these guys, they've diversified how they go about their pitching prospects because the obvious ones are the guys who come out of high school and they're flamethrowers and it's an easy name to know. But then there's the Tommy Henrys, there's the Dre Jamesons who I love Jameson. Are, those guys I are college him. pitchers. They have experience. They get fast-tracked a little bit in the minor leagues because Tommy Henry pitched in the college world Series at Michigan. These guys have experience. But then there's then there's the young guys who are going to take some time. Blake Walston is a name you should know. He's going to take some time and come up to the system, but he's, he's two to fourth three or years fifth in away. line. Yeah. Brandon Fought was not a big pitching prospect over the last couple of I years. Think he's their and best. last year he skyrocketed. I think he's their best pitching prospect. He's 24 years old. He's got incredible size. He's got good moxie. I think he'll be up this year. I, he's not going to win a spot right now, but I would be shocked if he he doesn't pitch this year. Here's Mike uh, Hazen talking about the Dalton Varsho trade. We ended up with two really good major league players in place of one. I think where we're standing as an organization, we just felt like I felt like we had to take some of those risks in order to continue to push the talent level of the entirety of our team, not just one player. I, I gave up a very good, if not one of our best players in this trade. So that's never easy easy to do and certainly one of the most popular guys in our clubhouse so the reaction in there wasn't overly ecstatic when I talked to some players um, but look these are sometimes the decisions I feel like we need to make to push forward in aggregate that our team is even more well-rounded and taking one player and having two that we think are really good was really the you know in a very basic way of looking at it one of the driving factors and why we did what we did.
You need to have two catchers. This isn't the days of Johnny Bench and Thurman Munson and Carlton Fisk and you know, all Jim Sunberg and Daryl Porter. And I could name all the catchers from the, hey, those guys would catch 150 games a year. Like they, they don't have that anymore. You need to have two catchers. It's a, it's a brutal position. Now I like, Carson Kelly, and I do think he's a starting caliber catcher on a baseball team. Um, but Carson did bat 211 last year. Moreno's got a good bat. He got so he got a taste of the majors last year. He really excelled. He's one of the top catching prospects in baseball and one of the top prospects. I mean, this was a trade that, you know, Mike had a surplus of outfielders and the guys that everybody wanted, it, it was it was they were never trading Carroll. Corbin Carroll was untouchable. And nobody wanted Thomas. It was more. It was more Varsho. Varsho was the guy that guys wanted. And McCarthy. I don't think McCarthy was very tradable either. So they ended up trading Varsho because they got that. Now they added Goriel and they added Lewis with Seattle. We'll see. Lewis has been hurt his whole career, but he was really good his rookie season. So if he can get back to being okay, you'll be all right. Paven Smith is still a guy to keep your eye on because he does hit right-handed pitching very well. Um, but if you pencil McCarthy, Thomas. And Corbin Carroll in the outfield is your three starting outfielders. There is not a better defensive outfield than those three guys. I think you're probably right on that. Listen, if we go back to the Varsho trade for a second, I get the deal. I like the deal. You had a surplus of something. The Blue Jays had a surplus of something, which was catchers. I'd say they probably had three of the top 15 catchers in the game of baseball. And you needed one of those. And they needed a left-handed hitter for their lineup. The trade made perfect sense. Here's where I do worry a little bit. And I brought this up with Tori Lovello earlier. There's not a lot of power in this lineup. And I'm not saying power is the end-all, be-all, but you have one power hitter in Christian Walker who hit 36 home runs last year. You know who hit the second most that's still in the lineup? Is it like was it like twelve to fifteen home runs? Cattell Marte had twelve home runs. Twelve last home runs year. was Cattell. David Peralta 12. also had twelve, but he got traded. You know how many home runs David Peralta hit with Tampa? More than he did with the D-backs? No, zero. Oh, really? He didn't hit one home run for the Rays. I don't, know. I don't, want, I don't watch a lot of Rays games. Um, Goriel could hit for power. He could hit for power. He hit five last year. Goriel, but he's but he's hit power for power before. He, he had twenty one once. Twenty. So I'm not sold on the power with Goriel. No, I'm listen. I'm not. It's one of their weaknesses. But if they if they can move guys from first to third, if they can steal bases, they're not going to need the power the way other teams rely on the home run and a three run homer. They got the fastest team in baseball. They're going to swipe they a lot of bases. They're going to they're going to get from second to home easy on base on base hits. They're going to get from first to third easy on base hits. They're going to put a lot of pressure on pitch. They're gonna, you know, they don't have the power in their lineup now. You know, Longoria is a right-handed bat. He's been a power guy in the past. How many opportunities he does add some power? He does add some. I guarantee you, their second guy has more than twelve home runs this year. There's enough guys that should increase their power numbers. Full year of Corbin Carroll, he might be a twenty home run guy somewhere in that range. Yeah, he's a smaller player. He's not he going to be. He's not going to be a twenty's optimistic, but power, I but I think he could do it. A power guy, but I think you've got enough guys in the lineup that can uh, that can get you some home runs. They just don't. They don't have the guy. You know, they don't have the. You were hoping Seth Beer could be a DH and hit you thirty bombs a year and bat two twenty. That's not going to happen. He's just I, not. Good I'm enough. willing to bet that if we get to the All Star break and they are somewhat competitive for a wild card, we're going to be talking about what are some big bats out there that maybe they could go and acquire on the cheap. What is the biggest question? Mark for the Phoenix Suns in these final 20-something games. We'll tell you what that is next, right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 
Burns and Gambo. Afternoons 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I got to find out about this uh, latest rumor people are asking me on my uh, Twitter page, Gambo987. Crispy Haynes is saying the Suns are targeting Derrick Rose on the buyout market. That would be the insurance for campaign and the backup to Chris Paul. And if Chris Paul falters or gets injured, you've got a starting caliber scarred with good size and experience that still has some game left. So um, that is a report from Chris Haynes that the Suns are targeting Derrick Rose on the buyout market. I'm going to try to make a phone call here and find out about that. There's also been reports that they could be targeting Carmelo Anthony. Uh, that would be a that'd probably be a KD move. That would be more of a Kevin Durant wanting him. I a can't, request? I can't see the Suns adding Carmelo Anthony. It just that never made any sense fit. to me. Just can't play defense. He doesn't no. move very well, and you don't need offense. He's, no, a, he's an offensive player who doesn't play any defense, but you don't need a player like that. You well, have plenty of offense right now. TJ Warren was brought in as a part of the Durant trade. He's certainly a guy who can get buckets. He could get buckets he's off the bench. He's not well-known for defense. Kevin Durant, I don't think he gets enough credit for his defense, but he's not Mikel. He's a good defensive player because of his length. Yeah, because he's just so long. So he's, hard to shoot decent, over he's actually a decent defensive player for that. He's not yeah. Mikhail. He can't run around and guard everybody like like that. But that is an interesting one. We'll keep our eye on that. Uh, Chris Haynes reporting that the Suns are targeting Derrick Rose on the buyout market. So something to keep your eye on because that would again campaign's been injured. It would give you insurance. What you don't want to happen is campaign doesn't come back right, and then Chris Paul falters in the playoffs. You don't have point guard. So it would make sense that they're looking at a point. Guard. I wouldn't rule this out right now, but I'm definitely going to check on it and see what I can find out. In the meantime, there's a lot of people just writing about the Suns and talking about the Suns and, you know, waiting for Kevin Durant to debut, which will be, we expect it's going to be next week. A lot of people targeting that Charlotte date. But, you know, one of the stories, a lot of stories out there on these teams, you know, what's the biggest question that every team has down the stretch? And Bleacher Report said, can Chris Paul lead a championship run? And Chris said, I played with a lot of great players, but probably never two guys of this caliber as far as Devin and KD. I know I'm not taking it for granted. And it says Paul needs to find enough touches to bring the best out of Durant and Booker and to a lesser extent DA and hold his own defensively at one of the league's best positions. But their question, a big question for them, is Chris Paul. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. But I think the Suns have now bought a lot of insurance policies because Book can handle the ball. And Kevin Durant, you can run an offense through Kevin Durant. So if Chris Paul's faltering, and you don't have to worry about his offense right now. You've got other guys that could get buckets. So it's not like you need Chris to be your number two scorer in a book. You don't need that. Chris is one of the smartest basketball players that's ever played the game. He usually almost always makes the right decision with where to go with the ball. As long as he could do that, he's fine without having to score. The question you have is if he gets worn down and he's turning the ball over and he's injured and he's struggling, what do you do then? And then you, then you question is, can campaign come in and run the point? Do you go get a Derrick Rose? To me, that's the question. It's not, I don't worry about Chris's scoring. I don't really worry as much about his defense. He's always going to try. He, he was a great defensive player at one time. He's no longer a great defensive player. But there aren't a lot of great defensive players in the NBA. He'll hold his own in the playoffs, I'm sure of it. Well, the hard part there is that there are a ton of good offensive point guards. 
in the NBA. And even the guys like uh, Luka Doncic, who we got to know very well in the playoffs last year, who aren't point guards per se, but they basically run the offense for their team. Chris needs to be able to hold his own defensively against them. I'm like you. I'm not super worried about it. But there were times, especially in that Dallas series, where the offense, when it wasn't running through Booker, it was Chris trying to get a screen and get to the elbow and hit that shot that we all have come to know and love, which is the mid-range elbow shot. And now you don't have to rely on that so much. And who are the best mid-range shooters in the NBA over the last decade? I would argue three of the best are all yeah. on the same and Chris team. Paul, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker, that's their game. I mean, they're a mid-range shooting team. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who they're playing tonight, has really turned his game around by not shooting as many threes, by being a guy that takes the mid-range shots. So it is interesting that they mentioned, uh, and, and, and you look at the other thing, right? The Suns have not given Ish Wainwright that, that full contract yet. They have not. You know, he could practice, they can't play tonight unless they convert him to a full contract. Do you feel he's earned it? Because I feel he's earned it. There's a question of... There's a question of want and need, okay? You may want Ish on the team because you feel he's earned it, but you may need a backup point guard more right. for insurance. This isn't a matter of, we all could sit there and say he's earned it. He's been terrific. He's, he's played his ass off. He works really hard defensively. So there's a lot to say, there's a lot of people that could say he's earned that opportunity, but it's not a matter of, it's a matter of need right now. This is a matter of taking out insurance policies. And I think if you're going after Derrick Rose and they're saying he's a primary candidate for the Suns, you would think that that's, that's more of a need. I need to make sure I'm protected if Chris Paul goes down. I need to make sure I'm protected in case Cameron Payne doesn't come back and play at a high level. I need to have a decent point guard. You know, Rose re-signed with the Knicks in 2021, three-year, $43 million deal. He is, you know, obviously fallen out of the rotation with Thibodeau. And a buyout, a lot of people felt it was going to be unlikely, but they didn't shut the door. If if he gets bought out, he probably want to come here because he'd look at this as a great opportunity to win a championship, a great opportunity to play with good players. And, you know, the question that guys like that have when they hit the buyout market is playing time. They, you know, when they, if they're going to go somewhere, they're always looking at, okay, where am I going to get the most playing time? And almost all the buyout guys... They usually get some kind of guarantee from a team. So that's it's, what you got to be careful with here. It's the conversation we had about a week ago with Kevin Love. Well, he, would he be a good fit for the Suns? Well, yeah, I mean, they probably could kick the tires on that idea, and maybe he has a small role on this team. But the reason that the Cavaliers, a contending team, let Kevin Love go, a guy who won a championship with that organization, by the way, is because he wasn't really being relied upon the way that he wanted to. He wanted to play a big role in a winning team. Miami and Philadelphia came to them with the idea of, hey, we have a role for you. You can play a bigger part in this grand scheme of things. And I think that applies to a lot of players who are on the buyout market. You know, the Suns did get Terrence Ross, who's, you know, a shooter and a, and a, and a Good wing guy player. some size for, at the wing. But, you know, Russell Westbrook was a point guard that got bought out. Pat Bev, Reggie Jackson. I mean, you start there were a number of guards that have kind of been bought out. Rose would be the guy that would fit. You would figure that he would fit the most for the Suns because of his size, because of his experience. He's 34 years old. In 29 appearances this year, 
He's averaging 5.8 points, 1.8 assists, 12.9 minutes. I mean, he's on the final year of his deal. They're not bringing him back. They're moving on. They're playing a lot of their younger guys. Uh, but this is a guy that was a former league MVP. He's a three-time All-Star. Getting getting him would be an insurance policy. This Again, this wouldn't be, we don't like Ish Wainwright. It would be like, we like Ish Wainwright, but we have a need for point guard because of Chris's health and Chris's age, and our backup point guard's been hurt a lot of the year, too. So I just think that that's what it would be. It wouldn't be a knock on Ish. It would just be what's best for us, and an insurance policy of point guard seems best for them right now. i got to be honest with you, though. If that's the issue is health and being available— the way that campaign has not been available at times, the way yeah. that Chris fell apart in the playoffs last season. Is Derek Rose the guy that you want to be the quote-unquote reliable one to be there? I mean, this is the guy who has spent he's, he's your, years he, injured at times. He's, he, but you're not asking I mean, he's healthy now. You're not, asking healthy him to now. Play, you're not asking him to play 82 games. You're asking him to come in here and play 15 games and help you in the playoffs. Also, does he want that role? I don't know, and that's the question. Is there another role out there for him somewhere else that's a better role? Kevin Love, it seemed like with our conversation with James Jones last week that they were somewhat interested in Kevin Love. But he found a great opportunity in Miami. Well, and Love is a lot like we talked about Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, we know what we can get offensively from Kevin Love. Defensively? Was that a fit? No. I don't think it was. No. And that's, you know, that's the thing you got to look at if you're the Suns. Do you just want a defensive guy? What are you looking for? I mean, Derek Rose, you're not looking at Derek Rose saying, oh, we want Derek Rose to come and score off the bench. No, you're like, hey, you're insurance for us. Chris Paul's going to play over you. Now, it depends on campaign's health, whether he can get some minutes. But I think that Derek Rose is a good fit for the Phoenix Suns. I think he's a good insurance policy. I think if you say, hey, I need you to play 20 minutes a game, I think he could give you 20 minutes a game. He's got a lot of experience in this league. He's been a great player in this league before. And again, being out of the rotation, if 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 he gets let go, the Suns are in a good position to pick him up. I think it would make a lot of sense for them. It's a little bit better than the insurance policies they've had the last few years. I mean, Alfred Payton comes to mind, and I thought that was it's a terrible. fine fit at the terrible. time that it was acqu- he was acquired. But Can't shoot. It just wasn't a good basketball fit. So, yeah, you got to find the right guy. And they had Holiday, but he was really small. You know, couldn't defend very well because he was just a smaller guy, but he could shoot the basketball. So Rose gives you some size. He can handle the ball. I think he'd fit in easily. The Coyotes. Yeah, the trade deadline is coming up. I got the latest for you on that. Who are some of the names that could be on their way out as Bill Armstrong looks to continue to get assets for the Arizona Coyotes? We'll talk about that next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, we're going to have Elliot Friedman on the show Monday. TSN will talk some uh, hockey trade deadlines with him. Looking forward to that. The NHL trade deadline is one week from today, Friday, March 3rd, 1 p.m. That is the trade deadline. So um, looking forward to it. We'll see what the Coyotes could do. But we will have uh, Elliot Friedman on the show Monday to break that down. And uh, does a great job covering the league. Let's talk a little bit about, about some of the players. Because I, I do expect that Bill Armstrong, 
even the Coyotes had an incredible nine-game point-scoring streak that came to an end against uh, the Calgary Flames. Even though Laddie McDonald wasn't even playing, the, I'm teasing there. But the uh, the Flames ended that. The Coyotes were actually up three-one, but they had that really good streak: nine straight games with a point. They played a lot better than anybody gave gave them any credit. A lot of people thought that they would be tanking, but Torigny's done a great job. The players have really stepped up. Michelli's been one of the best rookies in the game. But you start to look at the trade deadline and what you could do. Now, I don't think a lot of people are asking me about Nick Schmaltz. I don't think they're going to be able to trade Nick Schmaltz. Part of the reason is the contract he signed under the previous ownership was was a deal that was very backloaded. Like it started at $2.5 million and it ends at $8.5 million. Think about a contract like that. It's not even close. 2.5, 3, and then eventually next year is 7.5 million, then 7 million with a signing bonus of 1.5, which basically means it's 8.5, and then the next year it's 8.5. I don't think that's a contract other teams are going to take. I don't think they're going to take that contract on. I think it's it's too backloaded. He's a nice player at 3 million, 4 million, maybe even 5. But you're looking at having to pay the guy seven, fourteen, about twenty four, twenty five million dollars in the final three years of his deal. I don't think teams are going to look at Schmaltz as an eight million dollar player and trade for him. It's always a hard sell, isn't it? Either way, because when you're a team like this that hasn't made the playoffs in over ten years, it's been a decade. It's a really hard sell to start trading away players when they start to get good. But at the same time, if you're sitting at the bottom of the standings, I think they're second to last in the Western Conference right now. It's hard to say. Well, you know what? We're, we're trying to compete too. And so you get these players who, you know, I'd like to see most of them stick around and be successful and be a part of the next great Coyotes team, but how long did we talk about the Phoenix Suns sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference? And eventually you're like, you got to go get somebody good. It's a credit to the players because they really don't want to compete. The bottom line is that they've got a better record than three teams in the West. They're better than San Jose, Chicago, and Anaheim with their 49 points, and they're also better than Columbus. So the fact is they've got a better record than four teams in the league. This is supposed to be a year that they tank. They've set it up to have a couple good years where they're in the draft. They don't, listen, that's how you got to turn it around. Bill Armstrong's a bright guy. He knows what he's doing. You need to turn it around by being in the bottom five of the draft for a few years and get, get your chance at getting some special players and hit on those second round picks. Second round picks are hard to hit on, but Armstrong did it in St. Louis all the time. They were really good at what they do. You go look what he did in the second round compared to what everybody else does. It's hard. Second round picks have a hard time making in this league. First round picks do, but Armstrong's got a good track record there. So you know, the front office understands that the best way to make this team competitive is to lose for a few years. But credit to the coaching staff. They've done a really good job, and they, the players want to win. The coaching staff wants to win. They've gone out there, and they, they've won 20 games this year. That's fantastic. Let's talk about some of the other players. Shane Gostasbear, really good on the power play. He's not playing very well right now. Just came back from an injury. May be able to move him just based on if a team is looking for a power play specialist, he could be a guy that that you get. He could be a guy that says that the team says, "Okay, listen, he's a guy that could help me. He's a guy that can help me on the power play." So if you could get a draft pick for Ghost, I think you would do that. I think that's something they, that they would look at doing. Look, when they got him, and this is incredible. I mean, this was a great job by Armstrong when they got him. When they got him, they they actually got a second round pick to take on his contract, 
when Philly traded him. They didn't give anything up. The Coyotes guy gave nothing up. They got a second-round pick to take him on. And now is it possible they could turn him into a second-round pick? I mean, maybe. Again, big cap hit, not playing very well. Uh, but for a team that may need a power play guy, if they could get a second-round pick, it would be an absolute steal. So that's another guy that you're looking at. Bookstead, Nick's done a good job for them. He's played well. Some teams may look at him as a, a top-six forward. I think you could probably get a, a third-rounder for him. I think that he'd be on the move. And then, obviously, you've got, you've got your star player. What I will tell you is that there are about eight, there are eight teams right now that are heavily involved in trade discussions for Jacob Chikrin. Eight teams. The problem may be with, you know, I don't think the, the question is if you want all the draft picks, you're probably going to have to take back some salary. If you don't take back salary, you're probably not going to get all the draft picks you want. So say Armstrong's. Say he wants two second round picks, or two first round picks and a second. Well, there might be teams willing to give that up if the Coyotes take back some salary from them. Because when you add Chikrin, a lot of the elite teams are really up against it. They, they may not want to add that salary without giving some salary back. So you may not be able to get that haul that you want unless you take some salary back. If you decide, I don't want any salary back, a team may be reluctant to give you everything that you want in draft capital. Look, I think Chikrin's going to get traded. They don't have to trade him, but I think that they they will trade him. It's just a matter of, will they have to take back a player on a contract and add to them for next year, or can they do it without having to give take that contract back? It sounds kind of like, uh, if I can draw an analogy, to the Zach Granke situation when he was moved to the Astros. Yes. Where you were going to get one of two packages. You were either going to get a bunch of prospects back, but you have to eat a big portion of that po- contract, which is what they ended up doing. Or you can give us Granke, we'll eat all the money, and you ain't getting nothing. It kind of feels like that a little bit, if I can equate the two. Yeah, I think it was. You know, they got the four players back and they ate some of the contract. Right. That was what they chose. If they wanted to get more of the contract eaten, they wouldn't have gotten. Now, the four players, Rojas has been the best out of the group. Out of the four players they got, they got two pitchers. They got Rojas. They got Seth Beer. Um, But the pitching prospects they got back have not fared out well. They've been injured and they've struggled. But Rojas is a steady player. You like him. Chikrin's contract is real good. It's a solid contract. It's only about, you know, base salary is $4 million next uh, this year and then 4.4 and then 6. So a team trading for him, it's not a it's not a it's a really good contract that the the Yotes got him on. 6 years for $27 million, a little over 27, but for a 24-year-old defenseman that a lot of teams covet him and and he's played well when he came back. So I do think they're going to trade him. I really do. Eight teams are apparently involved in those discussions. I do think that they'll be able to make a deal. But remember, like this is an organization that has taken on Pronger's dead contract and and Datsoik's contract and Weber's contract and 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 Lad with the Islanders. You know, they added salary with with uh Lad. They want to be able to add that salary next year too. Like what they just did with Weber. You know, add add cap money. Hey, Give me a second-round pick. I'll take this guy on. You'll save money on your cap. They want to be in a position to do that. That is really helping them garner some of these draft picks. And they've been very, very good at it. Marion Haas, Brian Little. 
You know, they got Nathan Smith at a fourth round pick to take on the Brian Little contract. So this is something they're very, very good at. Andrew Ladd, they got a 2021 second round draft pick. They got a 2022 conditional second rounder and a 2022 third rounder from the Islanders for nothing, just for taking Ladd off their hands. So the Coyotes want to do that. They want to be in a position next year where they could still do that. So taking salary back is something that they may be reluctant to do because it puts them in a tougher situation financially for next season. Well, you want to be careful of, and I think what a lot of Coyotes fans might be fearing is that you run into the Dylan Strom situation again, where you're shooting for the the top pick in the draft. He's actually playing really well right now. And the lottery... I mean, I don't know a better way to put it, but you kind of you kind of miss out at the end. I mean, you're you're that projected you to be the number one pick, player and, and there's two amazing otherworldly prospects in that draft, and you yeah. get the third pick. By the way, Strom you can't is, rely on tanking all the time. Strom went to Chicago after he left the Coyotes, and he was pretty good. He's having a really good year for Washington right now. He's having a really good year. Uh, they really like him in Washington. He's done a good job for them. All right, still a lot more to come on the program, including the 4 o'clock reset. We'll get you caught up on all the latest happenings in sports. That's coming up next, the 4 o'clock reset right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.